Hey, this is Thomas Q. Jones, former UVA All-American running back, and you're listening to The Jerry Radcliffe Show. Wahoo wah. Welcome to The Jerry Radcliffe Show. I'm Chris Graham, the co-host, and um, uh, baseball is on our minds, and a big weekend coming up for Virginia baseball in lots of ways, not just on the field with the Virginia Tech Pokies, but uh, Jerry, uh, a special weekend for Virginia fans uh, honoring some of the program's greats from its uh, storied history. That's right, Chris. Uh, they're going to retire Ryan Zimmerman's number 11, I believe. And uh, at, uh, on, Saturday, on Saturday's game against Virginia Tech, big series for the Wahoos. And uh, also another uh, former Virginia player uh, is going into the Virginia Sports Hall of Fame rightfully so, uh, probably should have been done, uh, earlier. Uh, he's already in a bunch of hall of fames. I know of. And we're talking about former Wahoo and former major league player and manager, um, Mike Covage of Charlottesville, uh, who's our special guest today. And Michael, thank you for joining us. We appreciate you taking some time out. Yeah, my pleasure, Jerry. I'm glad this uh, day's about almost here. It's uh, been a long time, uh, in the works. You've been waiting a while. I guess uh, you were in the class from, uh, was it 20? And then uh, we had the pandemic. And yeah, I got, got word, I got word about a week after the uh, World Series. I'm uh, still on a high from that with the Washington Nationals, of course, working for them. And right. I got the call from Will Driscoll, totally unexpected, at my age and, and uh, about ready to retire and all that, and uh, far from headlines. But... Uh, it's a great honor, of course. And yeah, uh, it got postponed a couple of years, but uh, they're, they're pulling it off uh, tomorrow night in, uh, or Saturday night in uh, Virginia Beach, finally. Yeah, that's, I guess they've got a couple of classes all going in at the same time. And that's, uh, that's uh, going to be a, a long affair, but it'll be fun. I'm yeah, sure. they, they had, they, there was no class in 2021. And, and then they, I think they only uh, selected four uh, people for the class of 22. So I think total it's, it's 10 or 11 uh, total names. And uh, of course, one of those, Sonny Smith, who I believe was the uh, basketball coach at Old Dominion. Do I have Sonny that right? Allen. Or Sonny Allen. Was Sonny, Sonny Allen? Allen? Yeah. Yeah. Sonny Allen. Okay. Excuse me. Sonny yeah. Allen. I, sh I should know better than that. I was looking forward to seeing him uh, but in this whole process, I learned that he had passed away. But he, he actually offered me a basketball scholarship to Old Dominion University coming out of high school. <laughs> I yeah. knew you'd been offered uh, football and uh, baseball scholarships. I didn't, I didn't know about the basketball, and that's pretty good. I had a handful. Yeah, I, I, ne I didn't pursue anything because I knew I couldn't play all three sports. And, and I knew I was probably going to try football. And, of course, I – I knew I played baseball in college, but yeah, I had some uh, feelers from basketball and I had a few offers. Of course, uh, played at Lane High School in Charlottesville. Um, There's a bunch of good athletes coming out of Lane back in that era. And uh, Mike was one of those and uh, played quarterback for Virginia and uh, baseball as well. And um, I think you told me that uh, even Bear Bryant uh, Probably get you to come down at Alabama for a, a little while. Yeah. Football. We'll be able to talk about that, but uh, that, that'd be in the book. <laughs> That's yeah, right. uh, 
was actually my first time on a plane. I got down to uh, Richmond and I got on a plane to uh, Atlanta and then over to Tuscaloosa and saw Kenny Stabler quarterback against uh, Mississippi State. And after the game, I was marched in and met Bear Bryant. And uh, so, yeah, I was offered a football scholarship uh, outside Victory Stadium in Roanoke, Virginia. I still remember the, the game and, and the coach. I was totally surprised and shocked, to tell you the truth, because I didn't know they were there. And uh, that's the first time anything like that had happened. And we happened to have a, an off week in the schedule, I think two weeks out. And so quickly arranged a trip down there, and I made the trip to uh, Alabama. Yeah, and Virginia was lucky that you uh, decided to stay home, that's for sure. Um, yeah, at Lane, you were part of, of that uh, Lane dynasty, right? From gold, the Golden Greek, Tommy Theodos, the coach. Uh, what you guys win, like uh, 50 in a row, something like that? I think it's still yeah. a record. Yeah, I think it is. Uh, it was 53 consecutive games without a loss. There were two ties in there. Uh, oddly enough, against the same team out of Roanoke, Virginia, Patrick Henry High School. Uh, it's a 0-0 tie and a 6-6 tie. Uh, both games were played at Lane in back-to-back uh, -back years. It was my uh, freshman and sophomore year. And uh, I think it was the first or second game of the season. But the rest of them were, were wins. And, and, of course, the streak started back in 62. And then uh, 63, the team with Arnett quarterback, was state champion. So when I entered Lane High School, uh, they were uh, that streak was really uh, becoming a, a thing, a big thing in the city and, and around the state. And I was able to play on teams for four years uh, until we finally got beat by a powerhouse, uh, Douglas Freeman High School in Richmond in 1967. Yeah, I know pe people in Charlottesville still talk about that, uh, going down to the old – stadium and uh standing room only <laughs> yeah it was it was huge crowds i think they were six or seven thousand people about half the amount number of fans that virginia was getting because in those days they weren't very good and they're probably only getting 12 or 14 000, 15 000 maybe in most of their games up scott stadium but i'm really honored to be going in and i'm going to represent all the my great teammates there because i'm the only one that had anything to do with that streak. And, and there were a lot of great players, many players, much better football players than me, including the two quarterbacks before me, Arnett and Trice. They both went on to be pretty good collegiate quarterbacks. And it's, it's a little, it's a head scratcher that Tommy Theodos isn't in this Virginia Sports Hall of Fame because not only would he coach that team, uh, but he was also a legendary athlete who got 15 letters at Lane and was a, uh, Pretty good quarterback at the University of Richmond. Yeah, I, yeah, you're right. He should be in the hall, no question about it. Uh, we'll have to work on that a little bit. <laughs> um, I guess uh, Jim West pulled off kind of a recruiting coup, right, to, to get get you to stay home? You he did anywhere pretty much. Yeah, in the end, I mean, I got – I made some trips. I ended up uh, flirting with some colleges. And I had lots of offers and, and – but in the end, I just got tired of, of getting on planes and visiting college campuses. And I, I kind of knew in the back of my head I wanted to go to Virginia. So I just shut it down and, and made the decision uh, midwinter that season that I was uh, go ahead and sign with, 
with UVA, and it was uh, I wanted to play for Jim West. I really did. I and I played for him uh, three years, and I played uh, two years with him in the Valley League, and uh, he made me a better ball player and a better man. Uh, I needed some tough love, and I grew up a lot under Jim West. Uh, yeah, he he knew how to deliver tough love. I know that for sure. <laughs> yeah, he did. <laughs> quite a character, no question. Yeah. Uh, you had a great career with Virginia, Mike. Um, uh, it just uh, you're in obviously the UVA baseball Hall of Fame. Um, what 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 was your favorite uh, moments from your career there? Well, it's odd, you know the. One of the things they're doing this weekend is they're recognizing the team of 1972. And that was my class. Yeah. And uh, that team, I signed after the 71 season, after my junior year. And that team ended up winning the ACC championship or tournament the next year. I think they had a, didn't have a real good regular season record because they'd lost a lot of, a lot of the best players, to tell you the truth. But they got hot after the after the season, and, and Mike Judkins and and uh, Brendel and a few guys uh, got hot, and they won the uh, ACC championship, and they're being honored this weekend. And some of those guys were planning on coming to Virginia Beach for my induction, but of course they got a better offer, and they will be uh, in Charlottesville instead. Uh, yeah, it's a shame that there's a conflict like that. I'm sure they love to be in in Virginia Beach. Um, Uh, Chris, did you have anything you wanted to hop in or? Well, yeah, I wanted uh, before we hit record, Mike. You um, you mentioned that uh, you you you've been working on a speech, obviously for a couple of years now, um, because of because of the circumstances, and uh, you won't be able to deliver as much as you've been able to prepare. Uh, maybe talk about that. I thought I thought that was entertaining to hear that. Uh, unfortunately, you got a lot of detail that you won't be able to share. Well, yeah, it's a great deal because I think when when I first wrote it and, and then I started playing it back a little bit, it was more like 30 minutes and, and that that's, that's too long. I know I put people to sleep, but there are some things uh, I'm not going to be able to talk about. I just don't see how I can talk much about my career. So I think my plan of attack is to basically talk about uh, the foundation that was built, you know, through my parents and through uh, high school sports at Lane and then at, growing up at the university and that experience and some people that, that were influenced and impacted me, uh, like mentioned some, some folks and, and some letters that I got, uh, one from Hank Foyles down at Virginia beach telling me the pro ball could wait to go ahead and go to college and get my education. So that was, I had to make that decision in, in 67, whether I would attend college or sign professionally because I was drafted by the Senators in the fifth round, and, and, and they came after me pretty good that summer. But I decided to uh, take Hank's advice, and I really want to thank him. He plans to be there. He's 93 years old. But that was uh, great advice. And I'm not so sure my life would have turned out the same way if, if I'd signed out of high school, because I don't think I was physically or, or mentally ready uh, or prepped to do that. But after three years of college ball and three years of summer baseball and three years of, of the education at the university, I think I was more than ready to sign a professional contract. 
How was that summer though? I mean, you know, here you are, you're, you're a teenager, you're being offered, I'm sure at that time, good money to, to, to think about that move. Um, it had to be hard to turn down a chance to, to, to get, you know, to make some money uh, coming right, right out of high school. It wasn't really good money. To tell you the truth, it was, okay. it was a, a package of about 25 to $30,000. Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, that was the big money wasn't around in those days. They had doubled their original offer and the senators were a poor franchise. So they, they didn't have the money that some clubs had, but uh, I had had a really good Valley league season that summer and led the Valley in home runs as a, as a 17 year old American Legion eligible player playing against college competition. And that's when they doubled their offer at the end of the summer. And I was tempted a little bit, but uh, got back together with uh, actually, I remember going to uh, dinner at Gus's Steakhouse, and that was the old hangout of Bill Gibson, the basketball guys, and uh, and Bill Gibson, Coach Gibson, and Chip Connor and Jim West. Uh, they took me to Gus's Steakhouse and uh, talked me off that pro baseball ledge again that I was still thinking about uh, as as Washington was trying to get me to sign before I started class. Um. Was Ted Williams the manager of the Senators when, when you got drafted? I know he's your hero. Well, yeah, he's one of my heroes. But, no, he wasn't in 68. It was Jim Lemon. And i tell you another a piece of trivia, and I don't know if Will Driscoll is going to mention this or not, but, you know, Jim Lemon and myself are the only two native Virginians to manage in the major leagues. No, I didn't People know say, well, that's not straight. But you have to research that. Everybody say, well, what about Charlie Manuel? Or what about Johnny Oates? Well, Johnny Oates was born in North Carolina and Charlie Manuel was born in West Virginia. So, uh, yeah, they grew up in Virginia. You know, Charlie over in Buena Vista and, uh, and, and Johnny down at uh, Colonial Heights, Petersburg area. But I'm, I'm pretty sure that Lemon and myself are the only two managers uh, from the state of Virginia. Wow, that is a good bit yeah. of there. <laughs> but uh, Williams... Uh, became the manager a few years later after, after Lemon. And uh, when I signed in 71, didn't sign in 68, but when I went back and signed with them in 71, Ted was the manager. And I got to meet him that year. And of course his book came out that year. And that book uh, helped me get to the big leagues quickly because the science of hitting is the best hitting guide uh, anyone could ever have. It's still on the shelves out there. And I, I don't know why, uh, Anybody shouldn't have a copy. They want to be a great hitter. What, what was it like playing for a guy that you had idolized growing up? Well, I didn't play for him, Jerry. He was managing the club. Uh, I never, I, I didn't make the big league club until uh, after oh, he had yeah. left. But okay. My first big league manager was Billy Martin. And uh, that, there's, there could be a lot of stories there too. And then, <laughs> and then, uh, <laughs> and then, uh, and then I got to play for the great Gene Mock for five years. And uh, that was a real blessing because uh, to me and, and, and not only me, but guys like Bob Boone and Reggie Jackson, Don Sutton, and, and right through a bunch of Hall of Famers, we all considered Gene Mock the smartest man we ever met wearing a baseball uniform. And uh, so he was brilliant. And so I, I was around him for five years, and I soaked up a lot of information, stuff that I used when I was managing in the minor leagues and coaching in the major leagues, I used a lot of Gene Mock stuff and especially his psychology. I thought he was a master psychologist. Uh, Bob Rotella would have been very proud of him. 
because a very inspirational leader and a master psychologist, in my opinion. So I took a lot from Gene Mock. Yeah, we could probably do a whole podcast just on Billy Martin stories. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I had I got some good ones. I don't know how many we can put in the book or not because they, they, they need to be rated. Uh, well, now, when is this book coming out? Well, Doug Williams, you have to ask Doug, but he's working on it. I, my mother had a lot of scrapbooks, and and Doug has visited us uh, down here in South Carolina, and and. Uh, took up most of the scrapbooks back and he's got, he's about through high school. So he's, he's starting to get into college days and, and then he's got, then he's got the rest of my career. So he's about through uh, where my speech is going to end on, uh, on Saturday night. And won't even talk about uh, my 50 year career uh, in uh, associated with major league baseball, but so he's got a ways to go. And he says that the book's going to be a little longer than most books he writes because there's, there's just a lot in there. But he's having a good time, and I'm enjoying it. Yeah, well, uh, let us know when when that's about to come out. We'll give you a great uh, preview. We'll have him on to talk about it a little bit, too. Um, yeah, you, you had a nice uh, major league career, Mike. Uh, what, what What's your highlights? Well, uh, telling somebody just the other day that my first major league hit still stands out because it was a, it was a grand slam home run. Yes. <laughs> and, and, uh, so it kind of, uh, broke in with a, with a bang. And I, I got a memory of that home run in, in Anaheim that night. And one of my, one of my fond memories of that is I could hear the voice of a good friend and a, and a, a teammate and I became a colleague later on, Jim Fergosi. And I didn't see him, but I could hear him yelling. It's like he ran up to state, uh, the first base dugout steps, yelling, get up, get up, get out of here. Because it was a line drive right down the right field line, and it got out for a grand slam home run. And it was hit off Bill Singer, who ended up being a teammate of mine in, uh, in Texas, and we got traded together in, to Minnesota when we uh, were traded for the Hall of Famer, Burt Blylock. And uh, I ended up hitting a uh, – another home run, another grand slam. Uh, when Singer was starting in Minnesota one day, helped him win the game. So I, I, I paid him back a little bit, but uh, <laughs> yeah, that was a great memory. I got, I got three hits that night. It, it really stood out because I was over 1974. I, uh, I'd been in the big leagues three different times in 1974 uh, brief stays and and uh, only got I think two starts in the 15 at bats I had uh, rest were pinch pinch of bad appearances and I went hitless I was over five three different times during the season so I went home without a hit and uh, that was a little bit embarrassing but uh, I got off the snides uh, quickly uh, when I got called up in June the, the next year yeah, and uh, and with the twins, I know uh, one one of your uh, cool moments was you were you hit for the cycle, which a lot of players uh, never get to do in their career. Yeah, it's a pretty rare event. Uh, every time somebody does it, they they seem to list all the names of people that have done it. So I get uh, a plug, you know, being uh, being on that list. Uh, I didn't realize how rare it was, but yeah, that was a big day. I I, I remember being. And Mock congratulated me because we were getting on a plane afterwards, getting on the bus, going to the airport. And I remember him standing outside the, the bus and he pulled me aside to 
to say, uh, you know, you really did something special today. Enjoy it. But, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was a day game against Toronto and, uh, in, in Minnesota met, met stadium there. And, uh, triple was the last thing I got. And it was a stand up because, uh, hit the ball off the center field wall and, and, uh, the, the center fielder tried to make a leaping grab for it and kind of fell down. And, and so I easily made it into third. I didn't even realize what I'd done and, and sat there and looked at the scoreboard and Carl Keel was, was the third base coach. I remember him coming over and pointing towards the scoreboard as they put it on the board that I just hit for the cycle and patting me on the back. Hey, I'm finding Mike when I'm looking on Wikipedia right now. Um, apparently the TV commentators that they call it the accidental cycle. It says that, you were thrown out at third trying to look out a triple on your first, uh, your first hit. You remember that? Yeah, that's true. Uh, and, and it wasn't, it wasn't the, uh, our, our broadcasters that, okay. that did that, but, uh, somebody later on, okay, okay. Uh, some researchers or somebody online, uh, called it that. And it's, <laughs> it's really, uh, kind of a shameful thing to do because it wasn't anything accidental about it. I, <laughs> that happened my first time up, uh, double in the right field line, down the right field line on Jim Clancy and, and got thrown out. And it's not like the last time it, if I'd hit a triple that time, then, you know, it would have been, if I'd stopped at second when I could have walked to third, then yeah. that could have you know, shed some foul light on the thing. But no, it was, uh, it was well learned. There wasn't anything accidental about it. Oh, no. no. It was an odd way of somebody uh, on the internet describing it. Looking for a great dining experience in Charlottesville? Look no further than the Aberdeen Barn. The barn has been family owned and operated since 1965 with Terry and Angela providing great atmosphere and mouth-watering food at Virginia's big time steakhouse. Enjoy the fine dining or relax in the Sportsman's Bar, a fantastic place to wind down and socialize, surrounded by flat screen televisions tuned to the latest sporting events. You never know who you might bump into at the Aberdeen Barn where all the greatest Cavaliers have dined over the decades and keep coming back for the delicious menu and good times. Check it out online at AberdeenBarn.com or call 434-296-4630. UVA Orthopedics and Sports Medicine boast one of the finest teams of doctors in the country, and they're right here in Charlottesville to not only provide care for the University of Virginia athletic teams, but also the Charlottesville and Central Virginia communities. UVA Orthopedics has been a proud sponsor of the Jerry Ratcliffe Show for the past two years, with numerous team members featured in weekly segments where doctors share great insight into various sports injuries, what causes them, how to treat them, and recovery time. Their team of experts are there for you and offer the best care to solve your health problems and get you back on your feet. Let their team of specialists get you back in the game. And, uh, you know, and you, you ended up signing as a free agent with the Mets in 81. Uh, and that, that kind of started a, a long love affair with uh, the Mets, right? And not only as a player, but as a coach and, and even manager. Yeah, I had a good run there. Uh, only a couple. It didn't work out real good as a, as a player. I know I was signed uh, with Hubie Brooks being a young third baseman and just to give him some protection. And that's what Frank Cashin told me when, when he signed us. And, uh, you know, he got off to a great start and, and hit right away. So I really didn't get a lot of playing time. I, I pinch hit a lot. Joe Torrey uh, used me as a pinch hitter. I think I led the league in, in, in uh, 
pinch hits or, or pinch at bats and, and both care, uh, both categories. But, uh, and Ned didn't make the team the next year. And, uh, but cashing it offered me a chance to manage in the minor leagues. And, and, uh, I played triple a one year and then went ahead and jumped into managing at his, uh, request and, uh, found out I quickly enjoyed it and made a career out of it. Quickly moved through the Mets system. The good thing about that was I knew the Mets had two teams in Virginia and I, Seven years of minor league manager, I spent five years in Virginia, two in Lynchburg, and three in Tidewater with some really good teams and good players. So, Never had a losing record? No, I had, uh, had, had really good teams, good players, and, yeah, we won. Uh, we won a lot. It you was fun. Had, when you had good pitching like the Mets had in those days, you always had a chance to win. You would have had Dwight Gooden and Daryl Strawberry and maybe Ron Darling, I imagine, in that era? They were uh, they were before me. They were before I you. Okay. On rehab a few times. Okay. Uh, Gooden and those guys. See, Gooden pitched in uh, in Lynchburg the year before I went there, and we had that big year with three hundred some strikeouts. That was eighty three, and I was a manager at Lynchburg in eighty four, eighty five. So no, Doc was in the big leagues. Uh, made the jump uh, from A ball to Davey Johnson. Took him to New York, and uh, Strawberry. Uh, I played a little bit with him that my last year as a player in uh, Tidewater. He, he came up uh, for a playoff run. We ended up winning the Governor's Cup, winning the playoff that year with uh, Straw helping us out in those six games. I think we went 6-0 and to sweep uh, Pawtucket and, and Columbus to win it all. And, you know, not only uh, did you coach in the minors like that, but um... – also uh, was the Mets' third base coach for quite some time uh, on some really good teams. Yeah, they were good when, when I first got there, and then we quickly got bad. And and yeah. I ended up surviving under under a lot of managers. And uh, I'll tell you guys a funny story. It's going to be in the book, but I'll give you a little preview. Uh, we were playing a makeup doubleheader on a, on a rained out uh, rainy day in September on a Monday against Montreal, and there were just a few fans in the stands. And Jeff Torberg was managing the club, and it was going to a 100-loss season. And some, all the fans were down near the dugout. They came out of the upper deck because they, they let them sit anywhere because there were only a couple thousand people there. And a bad team and a makeup doubleheader on a, on a scheduled off deck. And some guys screaming at me, coverage, coverage, coverage. And finally, breaking the action, I turned around, and I, I yelled up to him, what do you want? And he says, <laughs> He, he yells out, it could be worse. And here I am standing out there coaching third base in the rain, uh, drizzle and, and on an off day. And I said, okay, how could it be worse? And he said, you could be managing this team. <laughs> <laughs> and he was right. <laughs> Instead, it was Jeff Torborg. The club, the, the kind of clubs we had, uh, they were the kind of teams that got, got managers fired quickly. <laughs> I mean, Dallas Green, Jeff Torborg, Buddy Harrelson, uh, you know, a lot of a lot of overrated, uh, overhyped players uh, who were beyond their their prime and uh, making too much money and not producing very well. And it, those are the kind of teams that get managers fired quickly. And those are a couple of pretty good managers that you rattled off there. too. <laughs> well, yeah, they were. Yeah, yeah. no question. Even Dallas couldn't couldn't whip that bunch into shape. Yeah, and, yeah if he couldn't do it. Uh, yeah, he came over and, and uh, he, 
after about a month, I remember he called a meeting with, with the coaches and he said, pretenders, my butt, you know, these are a bunch of uh, contenders, my butt. These guys are a bunch of pretenders. <laughs> he, uh, he had been told by the front office that the club was a contending club. And he, he quickly found out that we weren't. He, he was not one to mince words, that's for sure. <laughs> now, he wasn't care. He wasn't worried about uh, hurting anyone's feelings. Uh-uh. Because he he played for Gene Mock at one time, and so he he knew uh, he learned from the best there. Uh, the first year I ever covered minor league baseball was his first year as a uh, minor league manager with the Phillies, and. Uh, uh, I got, I got, I don't think I've ever seen a guy get thrown out of as many games in one season as he did that year. <laughs> he definitely was a little salty. Yeah. I ended up managing a few games for Dallas when they got thrown out because they, they weren't in the records because they, they went under to him when, when you take over for a manager thrown out. But I ended up with two or three games that I managed that Dallas got thrown out early. One, one game was in between a, a double header. And he got thrown out at home plate in between games. So I, had, I managed the second game for him. <laughs> you uh, you were the interim manager also for the Mets for uh, the end of one season, I guess, 91. And, and uh, uh, then uh, in 2002, uh, interim manager for the Boston Red Sox, where you were also a third base coach for uh, quite a while. Uh, what's the difference when you're sitting in the – manager seat as opposed to a position coach? Well, uh, it's just a lot. You're in charge of everybody, you know, no, yeah. no doubt about it. You, you got to manage the whole team. And when you're coaching, you just got your guys you, and you got your own responsibilities. But the, the main thing is you got to deal with the media and, yeah. <laughs> and, and the front office and, and, uh, and the, the negotiation for players, you know, get me a better player or, you know, so get me somebody out of the minor leagues, all that. But the media, especially in the big cities, the East Coast cities, is very demanding and they can just crush you. Uh, they really can. And, and I, I saw it happen to a lot of guys up there that uh, they turned gray almost overnight because of that New York media. They, they can just hound you. Like, they like to beat a dead horse there. They get a story. Uh, they they won't let it die. They'll, they'll run with it for about a week or ten days. Most stories yeah. uh, most stories die in a day or two. But some of, in New York, they they have a way of keeping things alive. <laughs> Trying to serve their own purpose. That's true. That's true. But I, those were great opportunities. I mean, Frank Cashin called me and, and said that he was relieving Buddy Harrelson, uh, and he wanted to do it. Didn't want to wait to the end of the season. He just wanted to end all the speculation. And he said. Uh, you know, you'll be considered for uh, the job going forward, but I, you know, I'm resigning. Uh, that was his last year. And so they, they brought in uh, some new people and, and uh, the owner had a voice in it and he ended up bringing in Jeff Torborg, who I think was recommended by Sandy Koufax, who caught a couple of uh, Torborg had caught a couple of his no hitters, but he'd been with the White Sox and that didn't work out. And, and then it was Dallas Green they hired. And I kind of got passed over and, and I kind of fell out of uh, fell out of flavor, uh, favor there in New York. Uh, but I did. I entered seven different times 
for major league jobs. And I think I, I always thought I interviewed well, but uh, told I was a runner up a couple of times. The Boston situation was unique. Larry Lacino called me in spring training and asked me to take the club over because they just fired Joe Kerrigan, who had, who had hired me that winter to be his third base coach. Everybody knew it was coming. And uh, I ended up getting an interview for the job. Uh, and the only three people they interviewed were myself, uh, Felipe Alou, and, and, and Grady Little. And, of course, Grady got the job. He did work for Lacino in San Diego. But I thought that interview went well, too, and, uh, and got good feedback and all that. But then – after that, it kind of fell out of favor. And, you know, it was, you had the, you know, the favorites each year of, of managerial candidates. And I was a hot candidate there for a number of years. But when I kept getting passed over, uh, somebody else came along. And, and uh, I realized uh, back in the early 2000s that it wasn't going to happen for me. And so uh, I got that's when I moved on into the front office. I know Chris is going to be – he probably has a zillion questions for you on this because uh, I know you were with several clubs but ended up with the Nationals um, across the river up, up there in northern Virginia and uh, close to home. Uh, Chris is a big Nationals fan and uh, has been for a long time. <laughs> you just see his shirt there. Uh that, that had to be a pretty cool way to end your career as uh, – with a team like that, uh, kind of a new franchise and uh, taking it from scratch and then ended up uh, winning the World Series. That had to be a, a real thrill. Oh, it was. And that, that's one reason I, I went there. And it was with Tampa Bay, and, and we had some really good teams, and I had nine good years down there. I worked, enjoyed working for Jerry Hunsicker and Andrew Friedman and those guys and, and uh, watched uh, the Young Turks uh, – you know, Friedman, a lot of his guys have gone off uh, Bloom in Boston and, and New Neander's still there in Tampa Bay. And the boy that went to Houston uh, worked under uh, Friedman. So uh, I got to experience all that uh, Tampa Bay did down there and, and building teams. But when I left, and I only made one phone call and I called Washington because that's where I wanted to go. I thought they had a chance to win. And at my age, uh, when you're in the game, you're, you're still – pursuing a dream and trying to win championships and, and get a ring. And I made the call and uh, it, it happened quickly. I was just leaving Arizona. My contract had expired with uh, Tampa Bay. They had offered me a two-year contract, but I told them I'd like to shop around. I made the one call and uh, uh, Rizzo called me. Uh, actually, I had a message when I landed in Atlanta coming out of Arizona where I'd been scouting the Arizona Fall League. And by the time I got home, I had a contract offer of two years and, and a, a good offer and, and took it. It happened uh, within a matter of uh, not even a day. And uh, But Mike Rizzo is a good guy to work for. He's an old school baseball guy, former scout, and he relies on the baseball people. He has an analytical part department, but he's kind of – it's weighted. It's more like 50-50 where some of these uh, clubs are – analytics are, are pretty much taking over the entire operation. I know uh, Chris is chomping at the bit to uh, ask you some national stuff. <laughs> Go oh, ahead. Just, yeah. So the two UVA guys, uh, at least in 20, you know, 2019 season, but Ryan, of course, Mr. National, uh, Sean Doolittle um, had been there a, a mid season trade with the A's uh, a couple years before 2019. Um, 
you know, any, any special stories with those guys, uh, with your EVA ties? Well, you know, I wasn't with the club very often because I'm out scouting other, other players. I know I was scouting the Milwaukee Brewers for that playoff game. Uh, you know, we had the play-in game there and, and ended up beating their closer, the, the wild lefty. Yeah. Um, I think his name, Hater. Hater, yeah. Yeah, yeah and uh, and we were on Milwaukee, another guy and myself and, uh, and, and the advanced scout. We spent about 10 days on Milwaukee for that one game. But uh, that's what we did as, as uh, the special assistants that time of year. And you wanted to be working and doing that. But as far as being around the club, I was seldom in the clubhouse. or, or uh, I, I was in the clubhouse, I think, uh, a couple of days in Atlanta when I was in there with our advanced scout because they were playing Toronto. And Toronto had been one of my teams, and we'd watched them play for like five or six days. So I got called in to uh, help with the advanced report. Uh, for that series uh, that we had coming up against uh, uh, Toronto and, and Atlanta was in Toronto also at the time. So that's the kind of things, but no, I, I know those guys, Rose Zimmerman did a great, great, I had a great career there. And, and it was a great draft because Ryan didn't hit for power at UVA. So they did a nice job. And Bob Boone was one of those guys. They did a nice job projecting him as a power hitter down the road. And that's what uh, those amateur scouts have to be good at. They have to be good at projecting how good someone's going to be, whether that good body and that swing is going to project into power down the road. And same, same thing with a guy like Juan Soto. Uh, he, and they, Johnny DePuglier, our guy down in the Dominican, you know, saw that kid and he knew that, you know, he signed him at age 16 and he, he had the numbers on him. He knew he was going to hit 30, 40 home runs in the big leagues. And he was going to be a great hitter with a great strike zone. So uh, I got a lot of respect for those guys. And I didn't do the amateur stuff. I did the pro stuff where I was scouting guys that had already signed and were out playing in the minor leagues or, or scouting major league clubs for potential trades and things like that. But, yeah, we couldn't have won it with, without those guys. Uh, I mean, Doolittle at uh, – we got a lot of mileage out of him. He's back right now at the club, I believe. I didn't follow that closely, but I think he got, uh, you know, he's he's not closer stuff anymore. But I, I think he's uh, he's got stuff to pitch somewhere earlier in the game. His fastball is up in the mid nineties again. He uh, after that couple of years where he his his uh, velocity had trailed off. He's uh, now he's on the IL right now with I think it's a knee knee issue, but. Uh, uh, yeah, when he, he, I don't think he'd given up an earned run before he went on the IL. Uh, well, that's, that's, I didn't know that. That's great. I mean, he needs that because that's, because uh, he was a high fastball pitcher with deception. And, and those guys that have that little extra, little extra hop can get guys out in the mid 90s. All of a sudden, if they lose two or three miles an hour and they, and their fastballs back in the low 90s, and then guys start catching up to it a little bit. And he really didn't have a much of a secondary pitch. Uh, He's pretty much a fastball-only guy, kind of like Billy Wagner uh, with Houston and, and all the and all the great teams. Another one of my favorite guys that I coached, but Billy was pretty much a fastball-only guy, but his fastball was was a hundred. Yeah, and, and for our listeners and, out there, Billy Wagner, another Virginia guy, uh, Fairham College, so another another Virginia uh, native that uh, did pretty well in his career. Yeah, I th- I still think he's going to get into the Hall of Fame eventually. When you take a serious look at his his numbers and the way they stack up against Mariano Rivera and the great relievers, just 
virtually unhittable. And the thing about Wagner, he didn't walk. And most of those hard-throwing guys, uh, you talk about wild, hard throwers. Billy had control. He didn't walk guys. Uh, he didn't have great command. He, you know, he didn't pinpoint, but he had enough control where he didn't come in and walk the bases loaded and walk runs in. Uh, now he was a he was a strike thrower and he was hard to hit. Uh, lefties hated hitting off of him, and <laughs> most right-handers did too. But he struck out I think almost fourteen per nine innings, which is one of the all-time great rates. And and I don't know why they what the knock is. I guess the knock is he's a reliever, didn't pitch a lot. Uh, but boy, uh, when he did pitch, he was outstanding among the best in the game. Well, we can, uh, when you're giving your speech uh, Saturday night, you can, you can uh, tell them that uh, for the rest of the story, they can just tune into the, this podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we, we haven't covered a, uh, a thumbnail of, of your career uh, in the past half hour or whatever. And, and you've got, are you out of time? No, 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 we're not out of time. I, I told I, a story. I, I told a Rod Carew story this morning that the guys down at the beach love uh, some Fox uh, radio down there. And I, uh, I said, Rod won all those batting titles. And one year in spring training, he, he made a, he wanted to bet me a hundred dollars. He that hit me by a hundred points. And you got to take that bet. I mean, any player would say, well, I got to take that bet. If I don't take that bet, I'm, I'm he's challenging my manhood here, but he had hit 388, you know, the year before, and I'd never hit 288. So it wasn't a sure thing, you know, with Rod Carew giving you a hundred points, but I think I hit 282 and Rod hit, 345 or something like that. So I won the bet, but he never paid up. <laughs> I'll tell you, and, uh, that's a great story. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, another one of my favorite stories that you've ever told, uh, and I'll get you to tell it again if you don't mind, because people would be missing out if, if they didn't hear it, was uh, when you were with the Rangers and uh, Phil Necro got traded to you guys. Uh, Perry, no, it's Gaylord Perry. Yeah, Gaylord right? Perry, I'm sorry, yeah. Gaylord yeah, Perry. Gaylord, yeah, yeah. I never played with Nico, but it was Gaylord Perry, and he was. I actually got called back in front of the minor leagues, and when they made that trade for Gaylord, I was back in the big leagues to stay because I'd been up and down a few times from Spokane in the Coast League, and but that opened the spot. It was a three for two, and and I was the guy from the minor leagues coming in, so I got there the same day Gaylord did in early June. Uh, and uh, he was unpacking his bag and, uh, you know, and talking to everybody, uh, a lot of veterans on that club going over and, and uh, chewing fat with him. But Fergosi walked over with a big old jar of Vaseline. And, uh, and Jimmy handed it to uh, Fergosi, uh, I mean, to, to Perry and said, Gaylord, what's this? And Gaylord looked at that jar of Vaseline, just dead serious as he could be. He says, i tell you what that is. He says, man, that's a three-hit shutout right there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That is, that's, uh, I love that story. <laughs> um, but he, he really didn't use Vaseline. He used KY jelly. <laughs> and, he, and he used like a whole tube of it every time he pitched put it all over his neck and his back and his arms. 
That's what he. That's what he went to. It was a KY jelly. What was the dugout like when umpires would go out and start checking out his hat and his everything? What were you guys doing? You don't have to be rolling in the dugout. He didn't do it that much. <laughs> he didn't. It's almost like it was. It was almost a given that they didn't. They didn't check like they do nowadays. But uh, he was checked some, but it was almost like it was accepted. Certain yeah. guys it was accepted they were going to cheat a little bit. <laughs> What, uh, having grown up in the state and had all the incredible moments that you had at, at Lane High School, at UVA, a uh, couple of the minor league teams in the state, uh, the Nationals right across the, the border, um, what's it going to mean to you Saturday night when you get called up and, and inducted in the Virginia Sports Hall of Fame? I know it's something that uh, – that you've been very proud of over ever since you were named, you've had to wait to get inducted because of the COVID, but what's, what's that moment going to mean to you, Mike? Well, I, I'm delighted. I know uh, there, it's something uh, a lot of people have, have wanted. Uh, I know uh, some people have sponsored me and, and uh, you wrote a letter, Jerry, and, and, and many others. Uh, some people have, have been trying to, make this happen for some time, including my good buddy, Hank Foyles down there. But I'll tell you a funny story and I may include this in the speech. Uh, I visited the hall of fame about 15 years ago when I was down scouting the tides, uh, the Norfolk tides, I was staying at Portsmouth at the Renaissance for some reason. And uh, one afternoon I just walked down the street to the museum when it's still in Portsmouth. And I spent some time in there. I think the last time I'd been there was when Hank Foyles had been inducted in 1980 seven or 88 when I was managing the times. But uh, on the way out, I grabbed some literature, some brochures and, uh, and the likes. And when I traveled, I always took stuff home to my mother and uh, because she was always interested in the places that I visited. And, and I, so I took her a handful of stuff from the Virginia Sports Hall of Fame. And when I walked in her house and, uh, at the end of that trip and I handed it to her and she looked at it a moment and she looked up at me and she said, Michael, are you in this Hall of Fame? And I said, no, mom, I'm not. And her, without hesitation, she says, well, you should be. <laughs> <laughs> and that was 15 years ago, Jerry. <laughs> so, I knew, I, I, I knew, I'm happy that, that uh, she got her wish. And, uh, but I'll, I, to tell you uh, another story about her, she didn't always get her wish because in, was it 2015 that, that the Nets uh, fired uh, Matt Williams and they yeah. were, did a managerial search and hired Davey Martinez. Well, I remember walking in the house one day and, and she had been a, a Nationals fan, knew I was working for him and uh, watched a lot of their games on TV. And, and the first words out of her mouth was, are you going to get an interview? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, no, mom, I'm not going to get an interview. Well, why not? I said, well, because... I've been off the field for 12 years or 13 years. I, I last coached in 2003 and I've, I've been in the front office. I've been sky. It just doesn't work that way. Well, you should get an interview. They couldn't hire anybody better than you. So uh, she didn't always get her way, but uh, she was a big fan of mine. Uh, your mom, <laughs> I, I got to know her pretty well over my career with the newspaper and uh, 
she was always your biggest fan. There's no question about it. No question. Yeah. And she was, you know, she was a Haney from Barbersville. Yeah. So he had the bloodline. She gave me the good genes and the major league bloodlines with uh, Larry and Chris. And she had a, she had an uncle that played in the minor leagues with the Cardinals back in the days of Dizzy Dean. So baseball was in their, was in their blood, in their family. And uh, yeah. Uh, that's how I got started. She was a star athlete at, at Orange County High School, uh, basketball and, and softball. I didn't know that. Yeah, and she, uh, the other thing people don't know, I, I may mention it if I have time, I was real lucky. I had two parents that could throw batting practice. And the truth <laughs> of the matter is, my mom threw more strikes than my dad. <laughs> yeah, she had a good, she had a good arm. And, and yes, she, uh, she threw me a lot of batting practice when I was a young kid. Wow, that's awesome. Not many people could say that, that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, listen, uh, thank you so much for spending part of your day with us, Mike. And we're so happy that this is going to happen Saturday. A uh, long time coming and well-deserved. Um, we'll bring you back and get you to talk about the experience. And um, We'll uh, talk about your book some more and, and get you to tell some more Billy Martin stories. <laughs> yeah, I'd love to. I'd love to. You know, I was in, in researching uh, articles that have been written about me and, and you know, trying preparing this speech and working on it the last couple of years. I, of course, I ran across some of the articles that you've written in the past, and and uh, you wrote some good ones. I tell you, Jerry, one of the, the last two articles you wrote about me were, were right on. I kind of used them as guidelines. I, I could have used them uh, almost word for word some of the things that I wanted to talk about, you hit it on the head in uh, those last couple of articles you wrote. Well, thank you. And uh, it's easy to write about people who are good. <laughs> well, I was good at one time. <laughs> you're, you're, still good. you're still good, brother. Yeah. All right. Well, enjoy the weekend. Uh, we love you, you, man, and uh, proud great, of you. And, uh, great seeing you. Great seeing right. you. Nice being with you both. Thanks.